there was no point in which travel really became a career. It was sort of like my comfort zone. You know, I originally wanted to do this just as a career break. I didn't like the job I had. So I thought, okay, well, before I start my career, I'll go travel for a year. And that year turned into 18 months. And then when I came back, I was like, I'm at a temp job. I hate it. Let's just go back traveling again. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars and annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method way back in 2008 i first decided I wanted to make money online and travel the world. I used to read some blogs of travelers that were leading the way for this new lifestyle. Somehow, I came across this book called How to Travel the World on $50 a Day. It's written by a guy named Matt Kepnes, also known as Nomadic Matt. Matt ran a blog that helped others travel the world on a budget while he made money from his blog and book while traveling the world. I thought it was genius, and I said to myself, man, this guy's got it figured out. So I bought his book so I could figure out how to do that as well. A couple of years later, I had a backpack and a one-way ticket to Costa Rica. Thanks to Matt and others like him, I was about to start my journey traveling the world while making money online. I never ever thought one day I would be interviewing Matt on my podcast telling him that story. That was 11 years ago, and today I've been living and traveling to many different countries while building businesses online. It has been the biggest adventure of my life. Today, I get the chance to sit down with Nomadic Matt and talk with him about what he's up to these days. Matt's blog was successful back in 2008, but once I started to travel, I didn't hear too much from him. It was good to find out that he's still running his blog and built it into an incredibly successful business. Matt now has quite a few books published about travel and runs a successful travel business conference called TravelCon that sells out very rapidly in just a few days. If you're interested in building and or running a business while traveling the world, being a travel influencer, and what it is like to be a true digital nomad, this is the show for you. Before we hop into the show, you guys, I want to talk really quick about our upcoming event called Get Shit Done Live. It is 10 days of high-performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and focused execution. If you guys have been craving an environment where you can excel at getting a lot done for your business in a short amount of time while collaborating with other established entrepreneurs, then check us out. Get Shit Done Live in Thailand, October 24th through November 2nd. You can check out all the details under the events page at thebusinessmethod.com. Time and time again, you guys, people come up and they say, I've set myself up for the next six months based on what I've started here. My Facebook ads that I started at Get Shit Done Life has created over $100,000 in revenue. Every single little thing that I work on to get shit done has now made me over $40,000. It is awesome, awesome, awesome to hear those results. And you can get those too by coming with us. Now, back to the podcast, you guys. Nomadic Matt. He's a legend in the travel blogging world. And uh, I'm incredibly excited for this episode. And without further ado, let's welcome Nomadic Matt to the show. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome to the show today, and I'm incredibly excited to welcome Nomadic Matt to the podcast. How you doing, uh, Nomadic Matt? How you doing, Matt? (laughs) Hey, how's it going, man? I'm happy to be here. Good. We're glad to have you. Man, I have uh, followed you for years now. I left the U.S. in 2011 to, and I actually bought a one-way ticket 
to go to Costa Rica and spent some time down there. I know that was one of your first trips. And uh, that was way back in 2011. And I followed your blog back then. I think around 2009, I bought your book, How to Travel the World on $50 a Day, and applied that in my travels. And uh, so I'm really good, glad to have you on the show. Uh, and right now, you're in Austin, right? Yeah, I live here when I'm not on the road. So I've just moved into a new apartment, so I'm getting that all set up. So um, what's your first, I got to ask you, what's your travel uh, living lifestyle like these days? Well, I tend to spend about a month on the road and then I get sort of itchy for my bed. Uh, and then from there I get itchy again for the road. So I'm usually about one month on, well, maybe up to six weeks and then two, three months home and then four or five weeks on the road and so forth and so forth. And so I know you now have a new book um, after traveling the world for 10 years. Throughout those 10 years, Matt, were you uh, completely nomadic? Did you ever have a home base? Well, yeah. I mean, there were times where I, I stopped. Uh, you know, it wasn't like I picked up and moved every three days. Um, I lived in Thailand for a little while. I lived in Amsterdam for a bit, Taiwan, Stockholm. But there was never any sense of ending. You know, there was no plans to be like well i'm gonna live here forever and oh that didn't work out i always they're always temporary stops extended extended stays yeah i i have been um location independent or nomadic for eight and a half years now uh and and so i'm curious how do you how would you explain uh, this not lifestyle, but like, how do you explain the desire to always want to continue to travel on a regular basis to others? Well, I, I think everyone is a little different. Uh, you know, for me, a lot was I just didn't want to go back to the cubicle. Uh, and I like the sense of adventure and ownership I can have over my life. I, you know, I, I think for a lot of people who want to travel the world and, and just keep end up going, it's more fun than what they were doing back at home. And so they don't want that to end. Um, I think a lot of people just have an innate wanderlust. Um, and a lot of people have an innate desire to learn more about the world and their place in it. And, you know, you can't argue with the genes. You know, there's just a pull, you know, it's, I mean, it's not with everybody, which is why, you know, it's still like an outlier. Um, but other, yeah, you know, there's billions of people, millions of us want to just be nomads. Yeah. How, how would you say that you've grown as a traveler in person over the past decade of traveling? Well, I would say that, uh, Everybody, I mean, if you're, if you're doing this long enough, you're definitely going to change. For me personally, you know, it made me a lot more confident in my abilities. Uh, it made me a lot more willing to try risk and be okay with the unknown. You know, I, I grew up a very sheltered person, uh, small town, you know, not a lot of diversity. We never traveled, you know, really geeky. So it's sort of like, you know, I was mostly scared, like, would I become, do I have the skills to do this? Am I a competent person? And over the years, I just became a lot more, you know, confident in that competence, you know, realizing that like, yeah, you know, millions of people do this and they all make it okay. And I'm a competent person and I can do it too. That's cool. Did you start your blog before you left or while you were, or after you had left traveling? I started the blog afterwards. Uh, so I had come home uh, in January 2008 after 18 months overseas. Uh, and I, around February or so, I was really bored and decided that, oh, maybe I'll start a website as a way to you know, get freelance writing gigs uh, and, and maybe make some money on the side. I never really wanted to do, the, do this as a profession. It was just really more about could I find a way to earn some money while traveling? Because I just wanted to keep traveling more. And this seemed like a thing to do. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I remember before I started traveling, um, a group of friends asked me, what are you going to be doing in the next five years? And my first answer wasn't, uh, you know, have it work on my career, buy a house. It was, oh, I'm going to be living on an island in Southeast Asia. And they were like, that's amazing. How are you going to do that? And I was like, I don't know. But I'm, I'm curious that uh, I just always knew that I was going to travel long term deep down inside of me. Uh, what what was the straw that broke the camel's back for you that made you realize I'm going to do this and this is going to be a significant uh, part of my life? You know, I originally wanted to do this just as a career break. Um, I had finished a degree uh, and I didn't like the job I wanted and so I thought, well, sorry, I didn't like the job I had. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, before I start my career, quote unquote, uh, I'll go travel for a year. And that year turned into 18 months. And then when I came back, I was like, I'm at a temp job. I hate it. Let's just go back traveling again. Um, for, cause I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, so there was no point in which travel really became a career. It was sort of like, my comfort zone. Well, I don't know what to do. I'll go travel. I don't really know what to do. I'll go travel. And so, you know, and, and when I left that second time, I just, you know, I, I taught English for a while and then the blog started to make some money and then uh, I had some funds to keep going. So I thought, well, you know, the blog's doing well and there's no reason to go back right now. I'm having too much fun. So I'll keep traveling. And there was no grand plan you know, where I wanted to, I, I woke up one day and said, you know, I want to travel for 10 years. Can I make it to 10 years? It just kind of happened that way. It was very accidental. Uh, same thing with the website. I, there was no grand plan. It was just, well, I'm having fun today. But if I have fun tomorrow, I'll do it again. And, you know, slowly action gets action. And I found myself doing a job I really liked, making money from it. I'm finding that like, oh, actually, I don't really want to do anything else because this is really working out. And if it doesn't work out, I'll figure out what to do then. But for now, I guess my job is a travel writer. Um, and so you know, there was no, you know, everyone thinks like, when did you decide? I never really decided. It just woke up one day and I was travel, a travel writer. How long, Matt, did you, or how'd you fund yourself before being a travel writer and a blogger could, could take care of your expenses? Uh, I saved money for three years, uh, and that funded the original trip. Uh, and then I also taught English in Thailand and Taiwan. And so the, the whole online thing was always a side job. as a way to earn some extra money see if there was a way I could do something that was a little bit more location independent than just uh, teaching in Asia. And then it, from when you started the travel blog until it started to pr produce some decent income, what was the timeline there? Uh, I'd say about a year and a half. And when it started producing decent income, um, what were the revenue sources that were coming through? Was it just from advertising on? Yeah. So, you know, originally back in those days in, you know, 2008 or so, a lot of that stuff was just AdSense um, and text links. You know, people would buy a link on your website to help them rank higher in Google. So I was, I was doing a lot of that. I was doing a lot of AdSense and affiliates when I could. And then I made a lot of like really small websites that were designed specifically to rank high in Google to get people to click ads. And so that was a lot of my original revenue. I mean, TextLink sales like accounted for like probably half of the money I made, if not more. And then I decided to write an ebook about making money online. And then that became a revenue source. How long did it take you to get to six figures? Maybe three years. Three years after you started the blog? Yeah, maybe 2011, 2012. What do you think, Matt, was the thing that really helped your blog succeed? Because we know there's a, a sea of people that have tried to be travel bloggers. Uh, what made yours stand out? I, th I think uh, in the beginning, what helped a lot was the fact that I was concentrating a lot on SEO. 
And, and back then SEO was really a dirty word. Um, you know, it was like, oh, you don't want to write, I don't want to write an SEO article that, that seemed like soulless. I want to write a travel story. And to me, it, it, it seemed like you could do both. You know, why not have like a story that ranks well in Google? And so I, I did a lot of, you know, search optimization. And so that allowed me to find a lot of people to find me um, more than anybody else. And I think, you know, in writing a lot of that kind of practical service content, um, I, I got more traffic than other bloggers at the time. I also stuck through it. You know, I mean, there were a lot of people I started with who just stopped around like 2011, 2012, and I just kept going. Uh, and I think I, I, I networked a lot with people outside of travel. And so I was able to get featured on a lot of non-travel websites, which allowed me to um, reach a, a new audience outside my little bubble. Well, I don't know if you had a specific strategy or not, but, but what worked for networking outside of travel? Um, I would find like finance blogs, you know, people who like to save money tend to save money on travel. And, and so I would just write articles on finance blogs and do interviews and, and provide tips on saving money on travel. And so I, I developed a lot of like finance blog content and as well as uh, really entrepreneurship, you know, being like, business-minded in general, I really like reached out to a lot of people who ran businesses because, you know, I wanted to make money doing this. And so I met a lot of sort of startups and uh, friends and entrepreneur friends. So when approaching, uh, like say somebody that runs a financial blog, did you just send them a cold email or um, maybe meet them at a conference and say, Hey, I'd like to write an article for you guys or, or what was working for you? Basically that, and because back then, you know, every, the internet was a lot friendlier of a place, um, and there was a lot less blogs out. You know, and there was no Pinterest or Instagram or uh, Snapchat, Twitter. You know, you know, it, it was just less. It was really small, and so you know, people were a lot more open to pitches uh, back then. Yeah, everyone was like friendly. It's like, hey, I read your blog. Oh, cool, I read yours. Hey, you want to do a guest post? Sure. Now it's like, oh, get so many, you just hit delete, delete, delete. Yeah, and and, and things are just so much more professionalized, but not also, but kind of like also a little snobby. Like people don't give as many people a chance as the, as they used to. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, if you were starting out completely at, at ground zero, no contacts, no, you know, just a guy with a backpack again, knowing what you know now, um, what strategy would you use to, to grow a blog and business in, in 2019? I would definitely start some uh, niche. Um, I would 100% only blog about like one small topic you know i would either do let's say asia or austin i pick a a very focused thing because it's hard to just be everything to everyone why would somebody go back to someone who's everything to everyone when they can can find something very specific to what they want you know everybody wants a little bit of specialization um, so, you know, if you're the expert in fly fishing in Alaska, just write about that, you know? And, and one of the beauties of everybody being online now is that these kind of really small niches like work so much better than they did 10 years ago because so many more people are online and they're like searching for information, um, you know, and pick the medium that works best for what it is you do that sort of has the least amount of competition, so to speak. You know, I mean, everyone's on every channel, right? But you know, if you're like only talking about food in Austin, maybe there's only like three Instagram accounts on food in Austin. Just be the fourth. 
know, if there's like 20 YouTube, if there's 20 on Instagram, but two on YouTube, do YouTube. What do you have any, any ideas other than fly fishing in Alaska on, on little niches that you see that are open that you think somebody could, could make a good blog on? Uh, I mean, I think you can make a good blog on anything, man. Blogging is like the restaurant industry, right? There's tons and tons of restaurants. Uh, a lot happen every open every day, but an equal amount close. Just because there's a lot of restaurants doesn't mean there's a lot of good restaurants. So, I mean, if you dead set on getting into the backpacking in Asia, yeah, there's tons of people there. But I can tell you, man, there's tons of really terrible blogs and content out there. You know, think, I th- think about it in that way, you know. Do, people are like, oh, do, am I going to get my voice heard? Like, there's just so much noise out there. I'm like, yeah, it's all terrible. You know, there's just like 99% of what is produced out there is just crap. That's a, that's a great question. What, what are some tips or recommendations because there's so much crap out there on, on creating good content? What are some of the things that you focus on to make sure that, that your content standing out above the rest? I mean, today we still produce the same kind of content, uh, that we have in the past, you know, we deliver long, detailed, specific posts, um, around, how to save money when you travel. And I think one of the things that I'm always looking to do is just make sure we have the best content, you know, that it's long, detailed, helpful, uh, easy to read, uh, easily organized, uh, and ranks high on Google. So we're always trying to like find new keywords and outrank people because now everyone's caught on to how good SEO can be. But we try to just do Mostly like brand awareness. I think the information is, is, is there. I mean, you can only write about cheap flights so many times. So it's just more about building the awareness of the brand uh, to people who don't know it. Um, you know, like going on podcasts, like doing events, uh, speaking at conferences, uh, doing meetups, uh, doing as much as we can to let people know that hey like we exist like we're not just another website you found through search this is like a whole community of people yeah uh speaking of conferences i know you just had your first conference this uh past year congratulations TravelCon. and i'm curious i've been doing events for years and um, um i know this was your first event i'm curious what what made you decide to get uh, to create your own event? Uh, ego. It's <laughs> a good answer. What about your ego? Well, you know, I just looked around and I thought there's no conference in the travel space that really dealt with high level business stuff the way I think it should be done. Um, you know, having come from doing a lot of stuff and having come from a business background and knowing lots of startup folks and entrepreneurs and internet marketers and seeing what their events are like and how they focus on, you know, stuff that's like building a business. And I, I always felt that the events in the travel space dealt with that to a level that I thought was insufficient and, and that too much was focused on, you know, small potatoes, you know, free trips and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, Where's the where's the person going doing a deep dive into you know an ad a Facebook ad funnel you know and uh, where's the person doing a deep dive into SEO and UX you know just because that happens in other industries um, doesn't mean it can't happen in ours and so I wanted to because I thought you know this is the way I wanted to start an event that showed people this because I thought we were all missing out. Yeah. Makes sense. And I'd agree with you too. I love uh, when a a blogger or somebody that creates really good content brings in the business skills and, and creates um, a really sustainable business for him. I think that's really impressive. And now we're interviewing a hundred major influencers from around the world that have a significant amount of influence and they handle that in a responsible way. So, uh, at your conference, I was looking through your guest list and you have an amazing guest list of speakers. 
you know, say somebody's going to start their first conference or they want to get, you know, host their first event. What are some ways to ensure that it's successful? And if I'm correct, Matt, you're, I think your event sold out really rapidly, right? Just in a, a, a few days. Is that right? Yeah. So I've sold out both years and we expect to sell out next year too. Um, what, uh, so when, when creating the event, um, what were the ideas, the, the style of the event, and what made you decide to bring in so many uh, significant big-name sp- speakers to the, to the event? I wanted, like I said, I wanted an event that was more advanced. I wanted something that was, would be beneficial to the people who have been in travel for five, six years. Not something that's good for the people who, you know, a couple of years in. I want some like those OGs to look at the event and the schedule to go, oh, this is the stuff I actually want to learn. I want to go to this event. So that's part of the reason why I picked so many, you know, really high end travel writers, but also, you know, business speakers and experts. I wanted more than just like, here's how to start a WordPress blog. You know, I wanted more like, here's how to do Facebook. Like, I want to be like, yeah, y'all know what Facebook is. Here's how to take it to the next level. Right, makes sense. How many, so are you having breakout sessions or surely all these people aren't keynote speakers, right? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, we have like two to three keynotes a day and then the rest are breakouts. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I'm curious, what what's one of the the biggest things that you've learned um creating a conference it's always going to be more expensive than you think (laughs) isn't that true like if you think it's going to be x double that amount of money uh it's have a good team that the events team you need is going to be really key so hire people who have handled big events before we have 800 900 people you know at at our thing um so like you're going to need like three or four events people. So maybe like for every 200 people you have, you have one events person. Um, our first year we only had two plus some volunteers and, you know, and so that didn't really work out. So we have four now uh, on the team and volunteers and they're, and we get the volunteers like highly specialized. Like they only do one thing. You know, where the first year we were just like, oh yeah, yeah, your shift is over here. Like, no, like you're only doing this one job and you're only doing this one job throughout the event. Um, but yeah, costs, they always cost more money than you think. What, what made you decide to bring on volunteers? Um, you just need staff. You need staff and, um, you know, people want to volunteer at events. So it's kind of a great way to get free staff. <laughs> yeah. How many volunteers do you do you bring on? Uh, this year we have thirty. Okay, wow, it's a big. Staff. So, so that's a lot, yeah. And then they get to come to the event for free, so you know it's a win-win for everybody. I'm curious your your price structure here. You have creator tickets, and this is for this year's event, or actually 2020, um, which is three forty nine, and then industry uh, uh, tickets for DMOs, PR firms, and travel companies nine ninety nine. Uh, what made you decide to to create those two different level of tickets? Uh, a lot of industry want to just come check it out. So like DMOs and PR firms might not necessarily want to do a full sponsorship. They want to check it out. Um, but we also don't want them taking space away from creators. You know, so, and they have more money than creators. So they can pay more to attend. Plus, they're usually going to do some business on the side. So if they're coming there to do business, they got to pay for it. And additionally, you know, if we only have 800 tickets, but 100 gets sold to industry, well, that's, that's 100 creators who now lost the opportunity to come. Mm. Do, you, do you limit the amount of industry tickets versus creator tickets? Yeah, we, list, we only do 30 uh, industry. Okay, cool. Um, what were some of the things, Matt, that made, uh, your event so successful that you could sell it out in just a few days in your very first one? 
it didn't sell out in a few days. It just sold out <laughs> generally. Uh, but I think, you know, why, how could we get like 600 people there on the first one? I just think that shows you that there's such a need for this kind of event in the travel industry that, you know, people are looking for an event that spoke to some of the high level skills, um, that they, they don't know about and, and things they need to learn to run a business. Whereas I think, you know, if most of the other events are meant for beginners, they're, they're small bloggers, they're, you know, they're fun. They're fun. I mean, I like going to them. I don't learn anything there. I think, I, you know, for a lot of events, you know, people always talk about, oh yeah, I go to this one, but it's really just for fun to see friends. You don't, you don't really learn anything there. And I wanted an event where you like you took away stuff and you learned. And um, I think the fact that you know for next year we've already sold um, two hundred and sixty tickets. Uh, and it's not till May, like shows that um, this is the kind of event people want to attend and they're willing to pay for it. Did you feel like there would really be a huge need for that before you created the first event or were you like, oh, let's, uh, let's just test the water, see what happens? I knew there was a need for it. Did you? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm in my industry. I know what events there are. So I knew based on talking to people and what was out there that there was a need for it. Did you, uh, do you do cross promotion with the, the speakers? Uh, in what sense? Well, you know, some people are, you know, have the speakers come if they'll send, you know, details out to their network. Um, some, some other people that create conferences are like, no, I just want this, this person to come. They don't have to send it out to their network. If, if they do, that's great. If, yeah, I asked everyone to um, mention it. It's sort of it's in their contract that they mentioned they're speaking at least once. You know, so it's not just my network. People do come from everybody else. So I, I do say like you know, you're required to let people know that you're speaking at the event. You know, you know at least once. And so that way people know. And you know, we we build like speaker cards. Like I'm speaking at TravelCon. And then we send them out and then they can use that. You know, we usually give them sort of like a discount code for their readers. So that sort of promotes that. And um, I, I, I think you had the first one in Austin and I think 2020 you're going to New Orleans. Is uh, any, any reason why you're switching locations? We um, I switched because we're a travel event. So I want to you know, bring that to our travel spirit out so you know we we changed and plus you know you get like a destinations want to host you because they want to bring media so like you know new orleans wants all this media to come so they'll they'll pay and then so forth and so forth you know so it keeps uh it's a way to generate revenue And, and also people like it that all the events in the travel space they always switch they always go to a new destination every year and so it would be weird if we were just like, we're only going to do this one place. <laughs> any, any thoughts about do, going abroad or you think you'll just stay in the U.S.? Uh, we'll probably just only stay in North America. Maybe in a couple of years we might do like a, a Europe version, but uh, I want to get this going. You know, definitely not year three, which is next year, or year four. So maybe on the fifth year we might uh, do a small Europe one. Yeah. Um, you've, you've got a, an amazing list of influential people on your speaking list for TravelCon. Um, if say somebody wanted to create an event and, or, and attract a lot of influencers like that, any tips you can give people on, uh, getting big names, even if they have a limited budget, getting big names to their event? Well, I mean, I think it's important you pay your speakers. You know, I mean, especially like, yeah. I don't do anything for free unless it's for a friend. Um, and so if a friend was like, I, I don't have any money because I'm just doing it the first year. Um, I would be like, okay, I'm gonna do, I'll come for free. Uh, but I, 
I went in and I priced the tickets knowing that I was going to pay speakers, but, you know, pay speakers. Even if, like, you know, you make the tickets equal to the amount of money you can spend, but um, assume, like, one big-name speaker will cost you, like, $10,000 at least, right? Or, what, you know, put aside enough money for one big name. You know, I mean, we lost money the first year. We actually we've never made money from TravelCon because um, right now it's just we're just investing in the brand. Um, so like we use Nomadic Map money to to keep it all nice and even. So, uh, but if you can't do that, I mean, remember like it's going to cost you more than you think. And so, be very conservative in your estimates um, and, and pay pay keynote, you know, like first year, like we had some good name speaking and the second year, like, you know, we had Cheryl Strayed, you know, Mark Manson speak, you know, those were big, big draws. So, um, but if you can only afford one, like find at least one big name to come to your first year and pay them. Yeah. It's good tips. Uh, I want to move over and, and just chat. Uh, ask you a couple questions um, related to long-term travel and location independence. What what does freedom mean to you? Somebody's asked me that before. Um, that's an odd question. What does freedom mean to me? Um, that's actually funny that it's actually, I feel like deja vu. Um, so I don't remember what I said the first time. I'll give you a new answer this time. <laughs> it might be the same answer. I don't know. But to me, freedom is really just about the ability to do what I want when I want. Um, you know, it's about living a life of my, being the captain of my own ship. That's it. I think that's what most people would say. Solid answer. Uh, have you ever felt like, say you're in a situation or a business partnership or uh, a relationship or anything and you felt like your freedom has been limited? And if so, what do you do to change it? Mm. I don't know how to answer that one because I would have to think over a lifetime. But, you know, for me, any relationship business or otherwise is work. And at some point you always give up something to make somebody else happy. I mean, that could be maybe you, you know, sometimes you have to lose a battle to win the war. And some of that things are important, you know, on a small scale, that's um, where you're choosing dinner on a larger scale. That could be, um, a business endeavor or a salary. Um, you know, I, I, life is give and take. Relationships, any kind of human relationship is a give and take. So for me, I don't, I don't think of that as an encroachment on freedom. Freedom is more just like, you know, I want to do this. I'm going to do it, you know, or I don't have anything else stopping me. Um, freedom is... You know, being able to, you know, dictate the terms of my life without being like, oh, I live in an office job or I can't do this or anything like that. Yeah, makes sense. Nowadays with Nomadic Matt, this is this is still your primary business. Do you have any other business ventures besides Nomadic Matt and TravelCon? Yeah, I have a few other things going on. I own a hostel in Austin uh, with some friends of mine. And I also uh, have a charity that funds uh, school trips for high schoolers. So those are my four primary things. How do you divide your time up amongst those? The, the hostel is run by my business partner. He's the majority owner and dealer with all sorts of issues. I, he only, once in a while we have to talk about something together, but day to day it's all him. And I'd rather not deal with it day to day. Um, the, the charity is run by somebody else and we usually just have a week call, 
and I, I check in and then we chat and then I talk to them next week and we chat and so forth day to day. If she needs something, she sends me a message on Slack, but uh, she basically just runs it her own way. I trust her to fulfill the mission. She's very, uh, you know, giving and charity minded and, you know, it really cares about the mission, like to the core. So I, I have full faith that whatever she's doing is in the best interest of the charity. What, what's the name of your charity? It's called Flight, the Foundation for Learning and Youth Travel uh, Education. Very cool. And, and the, the people that you have business partnerships with, did they approach you with the idea or did you know them beforehand and, uh, and you came up with it together and then they were going to be the muscle and you were going to kind of be uh, more of a, more on the back burner of the business? Yeah. Uh, for the hostel, that's, it was a friend who was like, I thinking about owning a hostel. And I was like, well, I want to do that too. I, that seems like a great idea. Uh, so that's kind of how that just unfolded. And so I just said, give me a check and I'll do it. Um, <laughs> or sorry, tell me a number and I'll cut the check and I'll do it for flight. I, I own flight. So there's no other business partners. I mean, it's a nonprofit, so there's a board, um, you know, but I mean, I guess in theory, I could get kicked out of my own nonprofit, but since I finance it, um, <laughs> and, and so wrapped up into it, that would never really happen. What do you, I'm curious, like, <clears throat> I know there's a lot of people that have built successful businesses and they want to get into doing some sort of charity. How do you, how do you balance the finances of what, comes from your main business and then goes into the charity? Um, you know, we, it costs us about $35,000 a school trip. Um, so we try to do two a year plus the operating costs. So we need about like 125K. Um, so whatever we don't raise, I just cut a check for. Okay. And, um, you know, and in the beginning, like, I mean, I did it when I, you know, when we were, when we had like hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit and I could afford to cut a check for $50,000. Um, that's when we started to do it. Got it. And, and how are you raising money with the charity? How do they do fundraising? Uh, grants, corporate sponsorships and, uh, individual donors. Okay. Very cool. Okay. Now just want to talk a bit about the business model that you have. Um, what are, you've got numerous, you know, products out there. You've got a couple books, you've got the blog and advertising on the blog. What brings in the majority of, of the revenue for you guys? Uh, well now we have ads on the website. So that is actually because we get so much traffic has turned into our immediate biggest source of revenue. Okay. And then if people want to advertise on your website, are they contacting you guys directly or do you have another? We use an ad network. So. Okay. Very cool. Um, are you, are you guys still trying to, to grow the, like the, the regular followership follower ship of the blog or. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're doing everything we can all like, you know, being on podcasts and everything to, uh, convert a lot of our Google traffic and our visitors into subscribers. Um, you know, I just wrote a book and you know, that really helps, you know, grow things because you're just everywhere. Uh, and so you, you reach a lot of new people and, you know, a lot of my events, uh, people had said like, Oh, I came cause I heard from you on this other uh, website. And it's like, Oh, great. Very cool. What, what would you say? Like, let's say take, where's nomadic Matt headed over the next like five to 10 years? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the company probably, uh, I'd like to do more in-person events, uh, on the consumer side. So not just like travel con, but also, uh, a network of events on the consumer side. Um, beyond that, maybe hire another writer. Um, cause I don't travel as much. So have somebody else to pick up some of the content space actually like, you know, we have like 1200, 1300 pages now. 
uh, if not more. So just keep somebody who just updates content all the time. That's probably a full-time job. Uh, me personally, I'd probably like to write a couple more books in a few years. Any ideas you can share with us? Uh, I have no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't decided. I just like, I like this book. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to write another one. So the book that you have now is, um, you know, talking about 10 years of travel and the journey home. What, what are you referring to the journey home? Is that setting a home base up in Austin? It's a metaphorical home. It's about coming home and finding yourself. Wait, did you have a time or a moment or experience that, that where you realized that you had found yourself over the past 10 years? Uh, yes, but if I tell you, then I ruined the whole book. <laughs> okay. Any, any spoilers you could give us? Just little, little uh, hooks. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, there were some moments you know, when I was in Africa where I realized I didn't want to travel solo as much. Um, there were moments when, you know, as I got older, I realized I was just prolonging the next chapter of my life. You know, every story needs a chapter two. And I just eventually became okay with the fact that, you know, the next chapter doesn't mean the ruination of everything else. Like, you know, come, for long-term travelers, coming home is the hardest part because it is, you know, this immediate end to everything you know. And like, you get really upset about it. So like, you know, realizing that like, it wasn't sort of like the end, it was just sort of a morphing into a, a different version of my travels. You know, I would still travel, but I wouldn't, I would travel in a different way. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, okay. Uh, how, okay. Let me ask you this then, Matt, what would, who would Matt be? if travel was out of the picture, you couldn't travel, you never were able to travel. What do you think you would do with your life? Uh, I probably would be a, a middle marketing manager in some tech, like solar or tech company, um, commuting and doing all that shit. Well, maybe by now I'd be like a VP or something. I don't know. Um, or I'd probably be a teacher. Cause I went to school originally to be a high school history teacher. So I probably would have gone one of those two routes at 38. I would like to say I probably would have a house and kids, but you know, you never know. Yeah. Did you, do you, did you buy a house in Austin or an apartment? Uh, I'm just renting. Okay. And so Austin's a temporary place, right? Just for now. Uh, you know, it's not temporary. This is my home home. Okay. Okay, cool. But I uh, mean, I, I'm not ready to buy a house. Yeah. I know how you feel. Um, over the years, like you, you, you have a name for yourself and you've accumulated a significant amount of influence. Um, could you tell us like two or three really important tips on being an influencer and how to handle that in a responsible way? You know, I, I think as my friend Clay says, you got to create, um, look, learn from me, not look at me content. Most influencers are just like showing their best life. Uh, and they're also doing, you know, so much for the gram, like putting themselves in dangerous situations. Um, you know, for a good photograph, but other people are going to want to try to do that too. So, you know, don't put yourself in stupid situations um, or like risky, you know, you know, like hang off like a train to get a photo or um, break the rules. So many Instagrammers do that, but I don't think, you know, you have influence because people listen to you and people listen to you when they learn from you. So if you create content, and you, or you just do something that uh, makes somebody's life better, they're going to want more of that. And that's when you get influence. It's not, I have influence because so many people follow me on Instagram. I have influence because people buy my book and follow my advice. And then they, they listen to what I say. That's influence. You know, when, when you decide to go to a restaurant because the 
food critic you like likes it too, that's influence. You know, I mean, how many people saw a movie because of Roger Ebert? You know, that was that was influence. I mean, he made he made and he broke movies. Uh, and so I think the problem with the influencers today is that so much of what they do is just like, look at me in this fun place at this sponsored thing. You know, they're they're taking advantage of a a market um, that exists so as sort of like a bubble, right? Sort of like when I was selling links, you know, that that existed because of a weird, you know, gray area in the algorithm. Well, that went away. You know, so many of these kids are are here um, succeeding because there's like a weird gray area in this new social media, right? People are still trying to figure it out. Where does the marketing dollars go? You know, what's what's best? You know, and, and so I think when companies, you know, really decide, no, you know, just because we paid this person a bunch of money doesn't mean we get anything from it. They're going to be a lot of this. A lot of these influencers are just going to disappear because their income will will go away too. And then the people who have created something beyond that and, and beyond one platform uh, will will thrive too. I mean, think of all the people who exist solely on Instagram. Well, what happens when Instagram? changes i mean they're owned by facebook so you know they're eventually will change how they do uh something because that's what facebook does you know, think about the money facebook told people to put in their pages this is your your real estate you know this is your house like buy like get followers do this do that like we really want you to like you know have a presence and then one day they're just like ah you know what you've changed your mind groups are now a thing and you know that you know, everyone's organic reach for pages is just bound. Yeah. All right, man. I think uh, we're going to wrap things up there. I just want to ask you one more thing, Matt. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about your new book or where they can learn more about Nomadic Matt or TravelCon, uh, where's the best places they could do that at? Well, um, it's really easy because I'm branded everywhere. So you can find me at Nomadic Matt or any social media channel backslash nomadic Matt. And the new book, 10 Years a Nomad, is available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Indigo in Canada, your local independent bookstore, everywhere. Everywhere. Awesome. Matt, I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your tips and tricks and your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for having me. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And... We'll see you all on the next episode.